Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and always happy you're listening. Well, we're going to take a break from politics, at least politicians, and from spying. Although, I'm going to get back to the spying thing because there's more to this spy story. Uh, this young kid is, um, is probably being railroaded somehow. Um, I doubt that he has completely acted alone. And there's some, there's some clues as to, as to that. So we're going to get back to that though. Um, I, I just feel like we need a break. I want to, I want to bring John Stossel back. This is an old show that he did on freedom and government regulation, uh, you know, regulating toilets and regulating light bulbs and regulating, um, our water heaters and just everything, right? And one of the reasons I want to talk about this because I've actually seen a trend that's really damaging. I mean, you hear a lot of people talking about sustainability today. And, of course, they're talking about sustainability for the environment and sustainability... um, you know, is, is an idea or is a, is a, is an action that we collectively take? Is it sustainable for the environment? But there's, there's another side to sustainability that I want to, that I want to explore today. And we're going to use John Stossel's program to do that. Now you can tell this is an older program because he's talking about the debt being $14 trillion. So that was about $15 trillion ago. <laughs> so, or $16 trillion ago. So this is a, a few years old, but these, these principles are, are the same. The, you know, the, the attacks by the government, the, the principles that uh, the free market, uh, what, what the free market delivers and how an un, unencumbered free market can actually um, give us sustainable and better results than experts uh, from the government. So we're gonna we're gonna use this program to rail against the experts um, and and basically make a case for uh, the distributed mind or the distributed expert. Uh, the, the, this is about the only time you'll ever hear me talk about the collective. Um, but the the billions of decisions that uh, we make collectively in a market, uh, always, always produce the best results. But now, let's look at the little things, like the government's assault on this. Not to mention the shower heads that no longer give good showers, the front-loading washing machines that don't get your clothes clean, toilets that don't flush. Last week, a U.S. senator actually confronted the Energy Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary for Energy Efficiency about that. It's fun to watch. All your notions that you know what's best for me, frankly, my toilets don't work in my house. 
And I blame you and people like you who want to tell me what I can install in my house, what I can do. You restrict my choices. I find it insulting. Now, it's not that I'm against conservation. I'm all for energy conservation. But I wish you would come here to, to try to convince me that it would be a good idea to conserve energy. But you come instead with fines, threats of jail. You put people out of business who want to make products that you don't like. I really do not believe that the appliance standards uh, end up restricting uh, personal choice. I think... They apply I, can't find, I can't buy the old light bulbs. That restricts my choice on buying. Well, um, so well, well, my view is what you want is lighting, right? And I can't buy a toilet that works. I, I can help you find a toilet that works. Are, are you going to pay for it? No, they're not going to pay for it. They just pass the rules. We have to pay the bills. I think this is interesting, you know, what the government regulator says to Rand Paul after he's, you know, rails against the expert class, uh, telling him what kind of toilet he can use and what kind of light bulbs he can use and so on and so forth. And she said, she says something interesting. She says, well, my view is that, is that you're, you know, you're looking for lighting. In other words, you don't really care what kind of light bulb you have to buy you just want lighting and and that may on some level be true but it doesn't follow from that that your choices should be restricted i mean this is just arbitrary this is just something the government does and the truth is they do it uh because they're lobbied to do it um in episode 139 we talked about how GE lobbied the government to eliminate the incandescent light bulb. And obviously, um, they benefited from this. Why? Well, because the costs are diffuse. The, the, the cost of eliminating an incandescent light bulb is spread over millions and millions and dozens of millions of Americans, hundreds of millions of Americans, but the, the benefits are very concentrated. They, all the benefits go to GE. So let's just say, for example, that GE can make $5 billion by lobbying Congress to switch from incandescent light bulbs to compact fluorescence. Well, that, what that means is that um, GE could spend $4.99999 billion lobbying Congress and it would still benefit them. <laughs> so, obviously, it doesn't cost them $4.99999 billion. It probably cost them a few million dollars. So, that's where the, the, the cost to GE are small. They're, the, they don't bear much cost. But the benefits are, are enormous. And so, this is why it happens. And, of course, we've talked about this before, but it, it's, an, it's an intervention into the market. And just as a reminder, um, you know, Frederick Bastiat wrote uh, an essay years and years ago, years ago in the eight, I think 1857, called The Law. And I highly recommend you go read this. You can read it in a couple hours. But what Bastiat said, and I've said this before on this program, is that the purpose of the law is to protect liberty and property. And if you, if you try to write laws that do anything other than those two things, 
you get what Bastiat called a perversion of the law. And when you get a perversion of the law, there's one of two conditions happen. Either the few plunder the many, which is the way it's been for, you know, since the founding of America. The few politically connected have always been able to plunder the many, right? But the other condition that you could potentially get is everybody plunders everybody. And I think that's where we are today. We, we have everybody in America trying to live at the expense of their neighbor. And the, the problem is it, this, this, there's a cost burden to it. We don't get the best products. Um, companies advantage themselves in the marketplace over other companies that aren't politically connected. So we don't really have a, a free enterprise system. We really don't have a, a free market. We have a, a very um, you know, tilted market in favor of corporations with deep pockets and lobbyists. And so this is just bad for you know, us in general. Now, John Stossel doesn't go into all that, but, or neither does Rand Paul, but he talks about how you know his toilets don't work and uh, the light bulb he can't buy the light bulbs he want he wants incidentally regarding the light bulb it just so happened that really a few years after this light bulb ban in favor of compact fluorescence the led market really started to take off i don't know if you've noticed but there's really no compact fluorescence anymore so ge lost anyway that's kind of the point the market always wins it's it's a fool's errand to think that you can uh, just give people an inferior product to choose from and they'll buy it they'll just they'll just take spoonfuls of it and go "Mm, that's good that tastes good without making any adjustment and that's just not the case people don't want to buy crappy products and compact fluorescent light bulbs were crappy products and that bothers not just Senator Rand Paul and me, but also the author of Bourbon for Breakfast, a book about the many small and petty ways government intrudes on us. The author is Jeffrey Tucker, who joins us now. So uh, this is hardly a big threat to my life that they're going to ban these things. And we have these now. Uh, they those, use less energy. I don't know about you, John. Those, those bulbs drive me crazy. You put them all over a house. You can hardly read a book. They're, they're, they're terrible. In any case, it should be a degree. Yeah. I can't stand them. But they're saving energy. Yeah. According to Washington, according to the central planners, you know, this used to be a country we didn't have a central plan. Now we have central planners telling us what is efficient. It should be left up to the consumer. And Senator Paul is right. We should have choice in the matter. Shower heads may release now no more than 2.5 yeah. gallons per minute. Yeah, that, yeah. Part of owning a business where you have customers who buy products from you is that it's incumbent upon you to convince them that you have a good product, that your product is better than the competitors, that it's, it provides value, and that it's, um, it's at some comparable cost. You know, um, People buy what they subjectively value. And if you lined up a bunch of light bulbs and a, a bunch of compact fluorescents and LEDs and incandescents with the prices that they had on them, uh, on those light bulbs, compact fluorescents would be the last thing that people would pick up off the shelf. It just would be. Um, 
I, I just know that because I'm a consumer and I know that they suck. But this whole lobbying thing, what it does is it doesn't, it doesn't demand that GE, whatever the method, you know, whether it be commercials or billboards or ads in magazines or ads on Facebook, you know, it's incumbent upon GE to convince us as consumers that the compact fluorescent light bulb is better. Okay. And we should be pissed off really as consumers that they cut the line, so to speak, and went and passed a law and took our choice away from us. But as you recall from that story, they not, they not only took our choice away from us, they charged us like 10 times more than the incandescent light bulb cost. So this is also a way for companies, big corporations that have um, deep enough pockets to hire lobbyists, um, but evidently are too lazy to try to convince us to buy their products. This is what they do. And this is something that we should insist end in America. This is this corporatism, uh, this union between uh, big government and big corporations is fleecing Americans. It's costing you money. So we're having to pay taxes on the front end, which in some sense is honest, okay? The government's telling us, hey, we have to pay these taxes. But what's unholy and definitely dishonest is on the back end, they're basically giving companies like GE a license to steal from us. And that is uh, intolerable. And, uh, and it shouldn't be allowed in a country like the United States, where we supposedly have freedom and free markets. You know, if you buy a new home, this is what you have. You have to people, hack your shower head to have a shower these days. <laughs> water heaters can now can be no hotter than 120 That's degrees. Right. You have to hack your water heater too, and it's, well, they're going to start saving you from being burned. Lots well, of people get scalded. What, what it means is that our clothes are coming out of the washing machine dirty. Our, our dishes are not getting are not getting clean. Our bodies are not getting clean. You have to have hot water to clean things. It turns out. You know, I don't know if anybody told this lady from the energy department. That's true. You got to have hot water. They don't let us have hot water anyway low flush toilets we're saving water this again is, this is catastrophic 1.6 gallons <laughs> you know i mean look the toilets don't work you can buy you know brilliant private entrepreneurs who try to create new models of toilets that work with 1.6 gallons right but they're having they, a hard they time they work they, they didn't well, work at first but now they work yeah well you know what what Usually. happens they can get the stuff down but they don't stay clean this segment was kind of funny because they were getting on the edge of bathroom humor here, but um, the toilets are better now than they were uh, six or eight years ago. But I don't know if you've looked in the tank to see how complicated they are. They've basically had to create some sort of vacuum system. I, I've looked at it, tried to understand it, but what I can, what I think I can tell you about it is if that system ever breaks down, like there's some problem with it, you're never going to fix it. <laughs> You're just going to have to go buy a new toilet. Whereas the uh, old toilets, you know, if the if it ran, you could kind of bend the handle on the float or you could buy a new flapper valve or whatever. I'm just telling you, 
on these new toilets, take the top of that tank off and look in there. It, it is a black box. There's no telling how that thing works. And so, you know, we're back to the throwaway society. And it's, it's not just toilets. I mean, I ran into this with um, the washing, my washing machine. You know, the washing machine was barely four years old or barely five years old. And the bearing in the spin cycle started to go out. And it was a Whirlpool. And I even called Whirlpool and I said, look, you know, this thing should be covered under warranty. And they figured out the serial number and basically told me it wasn't covered. And, you know, smart ass like me, I go to their website and you can go to their website, go, go to Whirlpool's website. And what you'll find is the CEO on there talking about sustainability and how they were the first to do this. And the first to do that, that, that protect the environment. You know, they've got, windmills on their property and they got solar panels on their roof and all this kind of stuff. And I called, you know, when I called the lady, when I called the, the, uh, I got a lady on the phone and I told her when she told me it wasn't going to be covered under warranty, I said, you know, I just came from your website and your CEOs on there talking about sustainability and, and how you were the first to do this and the first to do that and blah, blah, blah. I said, I got to tell you, I said, I don't see anything sustainable about putting a four by four by four steel box in my local landfill five years after I've purchased it. I just don't think that's sustainable. Bourbon for breakfast is the title and there's bourbon and a donut. But we're still a free country, and if you want, you can have yeah. bourbon and I know a donut the, for breakfast. The title's meant to shock you. Some of the finest men I've ever known drank bourbon for breakfast, and it's a tribute to them. So, so they haven't banned this yet? Well, you know what? It turns out we have this, as strict alcohol laws as practically any country in the world outside of Saudi Arabia. It's true. We have a, a gigantic federal laws concerning alcohol uh, production, consumption. It's not as easy as it used to be to get a drink. It's a legacy of prohibition. In many places in this country, it's hard to even order a champagne for Sunday brunch anymore. The alcohol industry is a lot like the fishing industry. You know, uh, there's all kinds of licenses and laws on fishing and gaming. And uh, fishing and game, rather. And what you'll find, especially with the fishing, is that the commercial fishermen catch all the fish but the laws are for the individual fishermen. <laughs> and, you know, the, the alcohol industry is very much the same way. My buddy Patrick uh, could, could vouch for this. The big boys make all the money in alcohol, whether it be beer or spirits, okay? But all the laws are on the, on the small guys. You know, your craft brewers, your local brew, brew pubs, things like that. And so these, these laws, you know, again, what you have to remember is people like Budweiser and Miller are the ones creating these laws. They're just, they're not, they're not actually voting on them, but they're voting with their dollars. So they go to these, they go to these legislatures and they say, they take their, their, their lawyers up there and they say, Hey, we'd really like to see this, or we'd really like to see that. And here's a contribution for your next, you know, Senate race or whatever. And this is how it's done. And they spend a few million dollars and they get hundreds of millions of dollars worth of benefit out of it. And this happens over and over and over again in our uh, pseudo 
I don't know, capitalistic slash political economy. I mean, anytime you hear somebody talk about political economy, believe me when I tell you they're talking about um, quote-unquote private or corporate interest as well. The theme of my book is that society can manage itself. Individuals make mistakes. If you give them freedom, they make mistakes, they correct the mistakes. And slowly over time, order emerges. If it means you're going to have a bourbon on, on Saturday morning, that's great. Well, I'm happy in America that we got rid of prohibition and they haven't banned donuts yet. Well, you know, we, we, had, we got rid of some aspects of prohibition. We've got prohibition on, on drugs of the most egregious sort. And I tell you, it's increasing in, in alcohol. The idea that you have to wait till 21 to get a drink in this country is utterly preposterous. And I'll tell you a secret. Um, maybe people don't entirely know this, but one of the first things that kids do when they go off to college, they get a fake ID. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, um, I know, I know my daughter was interested in that and, uh, she's 21 now. So, uh, she no longer has one if you're listening and you're law enforcement. Um, but I think at one time she did have one, but yeah, you know, the, the free market can and does make mistakes often, but it's very quick to change. It's very quick to change direction and correct those mistakes. Unlike, you know, the government, the government could take a long time. I mean, look at the, look at the mistakes that we had in the banking industry and what we're going to learn. That was, what was that? That was, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, what we're going to learn is that none of the things that the government did to correct the quote-unquote crisis that happened in 2008, none of those things worked. And we're going to learn that the hard way. And so the free market is better, though. The free market, it, it may come up with a hundred different ideas. And over time, you know, 80 or 90 of those fail because they just didn't work out very well. But the 10 you're left with work really, really well. And that's the beauty of the free market. It's, it's just not true that we need all this regulation. Um, I mean, you could maybe, I mean, I, I don't think we need any, but I, I could see how some people would think, well, we need some, you know. But the problem with regulation is it, is it creates the environment for the GEs of the world to do what they do, to exploit the political system. Um, because the nature of regulation is political. So you're talking about, you know, now you're talking about, well, geez, Mr. Senator, uh, what can I do to get around this thing? Right. So it ought to be because it's the, the, the very nature of it is political regulation. Um, then there's a, a political, uh, response to it. And so, there's just no way to really have regulation without having some sort of political response. And those that are the, the best connected, that have the deepest pockets, those are the ones who get to benefit from it. And this is just inherently unfair. I mean, go ask some friend of yours who works for some company, ask them if they have a lobbyist. Now, if they work for, you know, Walmart or something like that, maybe they do have a lobbyist, but go go ask somebody that works at a small business, meaning less than, less than about a thousand employees, ask them if they have a lobbyist. The answer to that question is going to be no, of course they don't. Because no business that has 
less than a thousand employees can spare, you know, six or eight million dollars from their bottom line to pay a lobbyist. They that that money is better spent uh, buying salespeople and marketing dollars to convince the market that their product is the best. We're basically making the case that you you can't you can't get anywhere unless you can measure and money is the measure and it's a measure and so the proposition that central planning will work is the proposition that you can substitute one expert mind for a million distributed expert minds and that's just not the case it's obviously not the case because each person is going to have knowledge that pertains to their locality that isn't accessible and that's another element of specialization that isn't accessible to everyone and so it's much better to let everyone make the decisions and sum them and and so we have this this free market society isn't a mechanism to allow property holders to exploit others let's say it's a mechanism that the entire human race uses to calculate the comparative value of everything Right, And it makes thought possible. And, and Mies does point that out when he talks about arithmetic, is that it enables us to do arithmetic. Mm-hmm. And we can decide, is it worth it? I switched up on you there a little bit and didn't warn you, but this is uh, Jordan Peterson. And what he's getting at here is uh, Ludwig von Mises, uh, what he said about socialism. And there was a reference to it earlier. Uh, but the reason socialism can't work, this was the, the major insight that, that uh, Mises had, is that there's a calculation problem. Without markets, we, we don't know what prices are. And without prices, it's hard to know what to produce. It's hard to know what people value. Um, and this was, this was a major insight that Mises had. In fact, he went on to say that value is subjective. You could take 10 people and put 20 products in front of them, and they would all value, and they could vote, you know, secretly even, on what they wanted. And they, all 10 of them would, you know, very likely pick something different. Because different, you know, pe- different people value different things subjectively, and they also value things on the margin, and so this is this is an, an amazing mechanism. This is an amazing discovery, the free market, and yet what we do is we allow the government to constantly interfere with it, and and this is why Murray, you know, you've heard me probably say on this program, Murray Rothbard famously said. Look, the government breaks your leg and then offers you a crutch. In other words, there are no solutions that come out of the government. <laughs> that's just not that's just not real, okay? It may it may appear to be that way. Your mind may think, "Oh, this guy talking on TV, he's smarter than me. He must know the answers." But what Jordan Peterson pointed out uh, so accurately is that there's no way that one mind uh, is, is smarter than a million minds acting, actively acting in the marketplace. It's just impossible. 
Now, <clears throat> this is this is one of the interesting things about you know IA, um, artificial intelligence, is you know that that could be very different. That that in fact, uh, we're going to do a show on this interview with Elon Musk because um, that actually could. Um, be very, very powerful because what you're doing there is you're, you're taking all the available information and distilling it down to what is the best answer, right? And that's very different than having some bureaucrat work their way up into some, you know, managerial state and then by default because they're in some position and because they're fairly intelligent, they get together with 10 or 15 of their other buddies and, and come up with some regulation of the, of the market, which is just, this is, look, this is why every time they try to regulate the financial industry, the financial industry finds some way around it. That's because the financial industry is part of the free market and the regulation is trying to you know, trying to put a thumb on the financial industry. But the financial industry always seems to find a way around it. Why? Because there's a million people working on those problems where is, you know, the, the regulation is a, a handful of dumbasses that were, you know, I, I don't know about smart enough to get elected. They were, they were, um, pragmatic and, um, I don't know, I don't even know the right word. They were, they had the wherewithal to get elected, probably because they lied to people and told them they were going to give them stuff that they didn't have any authority to give them. But, but these people that work in the financial industry, they're they're working competitively with one another. They're 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 figuring things out it, for real. Like they don't they don't eat if they don't figure these things out, right? The government people though, they get paid no matter whether they come up with a good regulation or a bad regulation. So it, it, this is why the free market always outsmarts the government is because the government is just a handful of minds smart. I'm not saying they're not, some of those people aren't smart, but not nearly as smart as the sum total of the minds that are out there working in the free market. And so it's just an interesting, you know, insight from Mises and Jordan Peterson, I thought, kind of put a different spin on it that was interesting. All right, I'm going to finish up with this last little bit from John Stossel, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. I want to thank you for coming in and listening. Hopefully you enjoy this topic. Uh, Certainly, I think it's helpful, I think, to think about the market. I mean, for me to just rail against the government, the government's stupid and the government's this and government, 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 you know, without explaining why I think that it's that way, uh, I think is just, you know, might as well be a Democrat, right? That's what Democrats do. They, they complain about Republicans and they complain about stuff, but they don't even know why they're against it. They're just against it because it's Republican. And, I don't think that's very productive, and certainly I don't want to be that way. And I don't think any, you know, interesting person 
would listen to a show like that. So that's that's why I don't want to have a show like that. But uh, but hopefully you you enjoy this, and if you do, share it. Uh, I'm going to play one more clip from John Stossel, and we'll close it up after that. You're with something called the Mises Institute. That's right. He was a great freedom fighter. He was born in Austria, driven out of the country because he hated... uh, This is uh, Ludwig von Mises, and Hayek was a socialist until he read Mises' work. Yes, 1920, his book called Socialism, and it it makes the ultimate case against socialism. You can't be a socialist after reading that book. 